Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to episode 190 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about some tips on how to get you qualified for the Boston Marathon. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational. And let the Marathon Running Podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond. Aloha, runners, and welcome to episode 190. My name is Letty. My name is Ryan. And we say hello and aloha to you guys from the island of Oahu, where we've been spending the last week, and I'm sure you can hear it in our voices. We sound relaxed. We traveled halfway across the earth to get the same weather as we had in Florida. Well, actually, Florida was cold when we left, but it always feels beautiful here. You've got the ocean breeze. It smells like Hawaii. I don't know. It has a distinct smell to it. Birds are chirping. It's nice. It is, and we don't have mountains at all in Florida, and there are mountains here. So we've been hiking and just living the life, drinking healthy smoothies, and just doing all the New Year's resolutions in the world. (laughs) All the New Year's resolutions, huh? Mm -hmm. So what are we talking about today? So today we were actually supposed to talk about running and hormones. Unfortunately, we were not able to record that episode. So we decided to switch it up. I'm sorry about that. We will have a podcast on hormones and running very soon. But we are going to talk about how to get qualified for the Boston Marathon. Given that it's January and everyone has resolutions and maybe your resolution is to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So Letty, for the new runners... What is the significance of the Boston Marathon? Yeah, so the Boston Marathon is just one of those races that is considered to be most prestigious out of all of them. And I think what it boils down to is that Boston is the oldest annual marathon in the world. Um, it started taking place in 1897. It's held annually since then, with obviously the exception of the pandemic. It's Every year on Patriots Day, the spectators are amazing. You share roads with the competitive fields. There's a lot of elites running this type of race. The course is challenging. It's basically the mecca of all the marathons. That's why it's prestigious. It has the unicorn as its symbol and people just love chasing that unicorn. And it's kind of a big deal because there are qualifying standards that a participant has to meet in order to race this marathon. So in order to run Boston, you have to qualify. You have to meet a certain standard. And I think that's another big draw of it because for us, people that are non-elites, it's kind of our 
Olympics, right? Because we're not going to go to the trials. So the next best thing for us to work towards something is to work towards qualifying for Boston. So Letty, what are the qualifying standards? So for a woman under 34, the qualifying time is at 3.30. For a male, it's three hours, which is already pretty steep. They've also added a non-binary category, which is also a 3.30 for qualifying. And then there's different entry requirements for the age groups as you advance in age. Um, but they still make it pretty competitive to, to get in. Just to give you an example, for this marathon of 2024 coming up, the qualifying standards had to have been met. However, the pool of applicants was so large that they couldn't let everyone in, requiring them to have a cutoff for each age group of another five minutes and 29 seconds. So rather than running your three hours as a male, you then had to run a 2.54, you do the math, 39 to get into this race. So even if you get a qualifying time, you might not get in. Yeah. And so I think that's why people chase it more. It's kind of like, you know, the game. <laughs> you kind of want what you can't have or you want to show that you can work towards something, not just with our jobs and everything else in life, but also um, I guess we do that with our hobbies too. I think you're right. I think anytime you put a restriction on something or where only certain people can get in, you know, it makes some people desire it even more or want to get to that point or pass that accomplishment. Everyone likes to accomplish things, I think. So has it gotten tougher over the years? Yes, it has. Actually, you know that when I was in law school, I didn't even try to qualify. I just always joked that I would age into Boston. And then when I was finally financially and everything else more stable and ready to do Boston, I looked at the Times and the Times had kind of gone down with me aging. So I would age up. However, the time restrictions kept remaining the same. So you had to just run faster. I had to try to, yeah, learn how to run faster and, and try to get in that way. I think over the years, running seems to have gotten more popular. And that probably is a big part as to why the um, numbers have gotten faster and faster. Yeah, you're right, Ryan. So there was actually a study done by Run Repeat, and they surveyed 4,000 runners, and this is in 2021, I believe. And 28.76 of runners started running during the pandemic. So if you think about it, now it's 2024, and these new runners, first they're trying to figure out running and everything, and now after running a few years, they've probably managed to get a large pool of those runners qualifying for Boston. So it's, it's not a surprise that there are bigger cutoff times and more people trying to run Boston. I wonder if it'll ever, if the times will ever go slower, which they could, you know, running has become more popular, but if it plateaus off, maybe, or if for whatever reason running becomes less popular in the future. So you could either wait for that or you could continue listening to this episode where we are going to talk about some tips on how to be able to run Boston. And one big tip is, you know, if you can't wait, because obviously a lot of patience is required with yourself and your training in order to not get injured. One big tip is if you really are itching to run Boston, they have an amazing amounts of charities available for people to apply and fundraise and then enter 
And I think the number of charity runners is higher than most racers or a higher percentage, right? Because Boston's streets allow for 30,000 runners and 6,000 of those runners will be charity runners and they just raise a ton of money doing that. So there is no shame in that. I actually think running for charity would probably be harder because not only are you going through the same training, you are also committing to fundraising. And we've talked about something like that in a similar episode a little while ago. We interviewed a fundraiser, but yeah, so there's definitely, that's a great option. So not only can you run, but you can support your charity. Yes. So you're doing something good. So who are we talking to today? So today I'm talking to my friend, coach Chris Knighton again. Um, he was happily available to jump in on this because he has a lot of information and tips. Obviously, he's coaching a lot of people whose dream it is to BQ, Boston Qualify. So Chris and I discuss a lot of the obvious stuff together when it comes to running the Boston Marathon. And then he's going to put on his coach hat. And I ask him specific questions as a coach as to how to qualify for the Boston Marathon. So you want to get into it? All right, so without any further ado, I'm now going to play my conversation with Chris Knighton. All right, so I'm back on with Chris Knighton. Chris, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. Happy to be here, Letty. Yeah, and today we're going to talk about Boston and how to qualify for Boston. So whether you have qualified in the past or not, it doesn't really matter because every year in September, we try to sign up for Boston again. So this year would be signing up for Boston 2025 and running Boston and doing the best you can. So let's start with some tips on how we can achieve this goal of Boston. Yeah, Letty. So I, th I think that it's so important to have a clear goal and commit to what your goal for the year is going to be. If you want to qualify for Boston, make that your goal. It's a big one. And it's not just going to happen. It's something that you're going to have to really work for and strive for. So I think making it clear that that's what you want to achieve and even putting it out there, sharing it with your friends, you know, what your, your family know, like, this is why you're running. This is what you want to achieve. Make that your goal. And it will drive you each day when you have that, that clear thing you're working towards. Yeah, exactly. And I guess since you have a lot of clients that come to you and have goals, perhaps you can talk a little bit about the fact that we might have to be patient and that people are in different bodies and different times of their lives. And once they commit to it, how long of a journey this can be potentially. Yeah, qualifying for Boston is obviously a, a huge goal. And for, for us, us passionate runners, I mean, it's maybe one of the the most common things that that we try to do as as adult marathoners it's it's the thing that like i mean everyone wants to do it really as a coach i would say the vast majority of marathoners who come to me want to qualify for boston it's such a crowning achievement of your of your running but being realistic and patient about the timeline and what it's going to take i think is super important um know that qualifying for Boston is a, it's very hard. First of all, it's for, for everyone. It's very, very hard. And though it's an, one of the great things about it is it's an achievable goal. I would say for, for many runners, um, for some runners, it may be outside of their reach. 
that's one of the things that actually kind of makes it so appealing is it's doable, but it's not easy. And for some people, it might take years and years. So I know people who have literally qualified for Boston in their first marathon. I also know people who's taken them 10 years or more to get there, and they eventually did. So it's going to be a different path for different people. You know, unfortunately, running is not fair. Our our talent plays a very big role in in how fast we can run, but our hard work and dedication is what is the most important thing because that's what makes us improve from race to race, from season to season. And, you know, as long as you're making progress towards that BQ goal, you're on the right track. But everyone's timeline is going to be different. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the beauty with that is as the years pass, we also enter different age categories, which do make it easier or not easier, mm -hmm. make the time different to qualify. However, we've also seen an influx of runners, especially since the pandemic. So while somebody, and this is like perfect example, me had a different qualifying time at age 30, that same time towards the end of my thirties was still that time because they lowered it so many times. But I kind of want to go back to something you said. Do you think that there are certain people that would not be able to qualify. And if you've seen it, maybe you can tell us um, what type of reason that would be that they wouldn't. Um, would it just be solely a commitment problem or would it be physical restrictions? Yeah, in all honesty, I don't think everyone can qualify for the Boston Marathon. I firmly believe that anyone can run a marathon and everyone can run a good one and enjoy it and do well and, and improve. But the the qualification time standards for running boston are i would say i would say you need to be in the top 50% of talent people probably even top 25% of talented runners and this is purely your genetics purely things you can't control which would determine if you could get into boston i mean less than 10% of runners are going to qualify for Boston. And that doesn't mean that that if you're far away from it, you shouldn't work towards it. Because I, I know people who, you know, their first marathon was like a five-hour marathon. Then they ran a 4.30, then a 4, then a 3.30. You know, I, I know people who've improved by over two hours in the marathon. So it doesn't mean that it's not possible. But, um, you know, for for better or worse, the, the standards no, not everyone can do it. And that's just kind of what it is, whether you look like that or not. There are other avenues for running for running Boston, but unfortunately, genetics play such a big role in running and what our top speed is that, yeah, not everyone is going to be able to get there. Yeah, yeah. And then for those who do commit to it and are willing to be patient and learn along the way from mistakes and from things like not getting injured. We're going to talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit here because there's so much that comes into play. But like you said, first point would be to make that commitment to be realistic with your expectations and mm -hmm. set that goal and then really work towards it and not make excuses. I mean, it's always cold outside mm -hmm. or there's you know a party going on but if if you do want to run a race and qualify for Boston you have to definitely commit and like Chris said 
let the world know because then you're more accountable. But with that also, it comes down to choosing a race, right? Mm -hmm. So there are so many races in the United States and of course in all the other countries as well. And there are certain things to pay attention to. So maybe you can walk us through um, how to find the best race for you. Yeah, so the, the most important thing, I think, when choosing a race that you're going to try to be Q at it is, well, I'll, I'll say a few different factors. First of all, is going to be the weather. I think that's probably the most important thing. Typically, I like to see people run marathons in the month of April and the month of October, November. This is for folks in the in the northern hemisphere. Um, those are generally going to be the coolest months of the year, where the weather is ideal for marathon running. You know, those are months. Let's like Boston Marathon, London Marathon, New York, Chicago. These are all examples. Um, typically, the weather could be in the forties. That's ideal for marathon running. Any any colder than that, and it's going to be more of a struggle any warmer than that. And it's really going to be a struggle too. So when people are trying to BQ in races in like May or June um, or even September, it's often way too hot and you could train for months and then just get an 80 degree day. And there's very little you can do when it's that hot. You, you will run slower. And then likewise, trying to run a race in the winter has its own set of challenges with the cold, not as bad as running in the summer, but but definitely still challenging. So, so look for races in April, September, and October. And you, uh, sorry, not September, April, October, November, and you're going to be good. And then um, the other thing too is, of course, the terrain. So typically, a flat course is going to be the fastest for most people. You know, courses like the Chicago Marathon, like Berlin Marathon. Those are some of the fastest in the world. London Marathon, that's one of the fastest in the world. There's many other local races too that are flat. Uh, I first BQ'd at a local race here in Massachusetts called the Bay State Marathon, which is a flat and fast one. Uh, there's many, many others. Um, but that's typically what you're going to want to look for if you want to run your best. You you can run well in a more challenging race. Um but this might depend on the individual, but typically a hillier course is going to slow you down a little bit. You know, a course like New York City, for example, with all the hills and the bridges will slow you down by several minutes. And I've run marathons that, I mean, honestly, probably slowed me down by five or 10 minutes. So certainly look for a flat one. Some people look for downhill courses when it comes to trying to be Q. I would caution people against that i think that a lot of times their intention is good they think they'll run faster because it's a downhill course but it often doesn't play out that way there's actually a lot of challenges that are unique to a downhill race and yes it could be faster you know you're getting the benefit from gravity but there's so much more impact on your legs running downhill for 26 miles than there is on running on flat terrain so if your body can't withstand the added pounding of running downhill, you know, you may get sore earlier, you may cramp up, you may have to walk. 
And this actually happened to me in my first ever marathon. I ran the Sugarloaf Marathon in Maine. It's a downhill race. And by mile 18, I was cramping up so bad, I had to walk in the last like five miles, kind of alternating running and walking. And, you know, I slowed down my expected pace by probably 20 minutes because of that. So, yeah, downhill courses aren't necessarily going to be faster for you. But if you look for a flat course in cool weather, April, October, or November, you've probably got a good good setup to BQ. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree with that with the weather. You know, if it gets too hot or too cold, if it's too hot, then there's really nothing you can do to keep cooling your body down. And then along those same lines, I'm glad that you brought up those downhill runs, right? Because there's downhill runs and then there is the Revel Series downhill runs, which are like a five, 6,000 foot drop, feet drop. And I personally have done one before. I did PR on it, but kind of like you in my own head and everybody is different. Everybody can decide this for themselves. I don't really call it my PR. I called it my gravity PR. And I've actually, while I do good downhill, I've I know so many people that just get destroyed on it. You're on target for a race like that for the first 18 miles and then your legs are on fire. And if you're not a downhill runner, then that'll just, you know, kind of like you said, you'll have to end up walking it in. And that's demoralizing when everyone else runs by you. So with that said, um, let's talk about the aspects of coaching that you can definitely help us with. So I'm going to ask you to put your coaching hat on if you haven't worn it yet and talk to us about hiring a coach, because obviously if we do our own training, we can't really observe what mistakes we make. Can you talk mm -hmm. about that a little bit? Sure. So like I said earlier, qualifying for the Boston Marathon is really, really hard for everyone. And it was that goal was a goal of mine that actually led me to hiring a coach when I was first getting into running. Um, this was before I started night and runs marathon coaching and was, was just a regular runner. But I knew that if I was going to go through the effort of training for a marathon and trying to be Q, I wanted to make sure that I did everything the right way and to the best of my ability. Because, you know, no matter how many YouTube videos I watched or things I read online, I had bits and pieces of understanding about how running works and how to train, but I didn't have a comprehensive theory. And I was really just kind of making it up as I went along. So when I hired a coach to help me train for my BQ, I learned so much. And I really felt like I started to learn how to train the right way, train like an athlete, do all the little things that an athlete does to become their best aside from just going out and jogging each day. And I improved so much in that first year of working with her. Um, you know, I pretty much PR'd in about every single race that season, um, started running my first speed workouts, started incorporating strength training and all this other supplemental stuff. It felt really, really good. I was really proud of myself. And that experience ultimately led to me becoming good enough to run a BQ in my second marathon and ultimately led to me wanting to become a coach myself and share this with others. I think that though certainly plenty of people can go it their own and own way and, and will BQ, 
uh, through their own training, maybe following some kind of a training plan online. I think that choosing to work with a coach is is almost like a shortcut to success. There's no, you know, there's no easy fixes. There's no real shortcuts in in running. You have to put in the work. I'm not saying you don't, but you're going to do things when you choose to to work with a coach and and you trust that person and you develop a good relationship, you're going to do things the right way. So you can rest assured that you're doing your best each day, that every run you do has a purpose, every activity you do has a purpose, and that, you know, you're spending your energy the best way possible to work towards this goal. The other thing that's really helpful about working with a coach is your coach can help get you on a timeline that's appropriate for you. So like we were talking about earlier, you know, seemingly everyone wants to be Q, but everyone's going to have a different timeline to getting there. For some folks, it may take, let's say, three or four marathons. As a coach, if someone comes to me and says, hey, I want to be Q, but I'm only running this time, you know, I can pretty clearly look at their training and say, okay, I think there's a really good chance we can get you there but it's going to take two or three or maybe four marathons. And yeah, that might take one or two years, but I can help get you on a trajectory that's going to get you there with patience and hard work. Um, most people though, if they just want to be Q, I, I feel like they would struggle to think that far out ahead, you know, struggle to think long-term and, and they're going to make more short-term decisions. Um, maybe increase their mileage too quickly to, uh, too high too quickly or start doing speed workouts that aren't appropriate for them at the time and try to rush it. And when people rush it, they often uh, encounter setbacks or get discouraged. Maybe they get hurt. And yeah, I mean, w working with a coach who's who's worked with athletes before, who's helped people achieve this goal, it's it's a shortcut to getting to your goals, I would say. Yeah, I agree. When I first got my coach, there was so much I didn't know. I mean, from running different paces and for how long you run what pace and over the years you learn, but it's not like a coach will give you the same thing over and over again for every cycle. They see you improve or they see you dealing with injuries. And so they adjust that. But even without the injuries, as you get stronger, your coach is able to tell you what you will be capable of running versus you maybe overdoing it and getting injured. And since we're talking a little bit now about the subject of getting injured, let's talk about the three three different things that you need to not get injured, which include recovery, proper nutrition, and strength training. Can you perhaps give us a few tips and pointers as we talk about that being part of the goal to be Q? Yeah. So... I actually just sent an email to my, my email list earlier this morning, and I said the number one rule of running is to stay happy and injury-free. And if you can do that, you'll be consistent over time and see tremendous success. And recovery, getting sufficient sleep, nutrition, strength training, these are all things that are so important to help you stay healthy be the best runner you can be, reach those goals and, and stay healthy, uh, stay happy. So sleep, uh, sleep and recovery, I think, are, are a big one for most folks. I think that, at least from my perspective and the adults who I coach, 
most of them don't have a problem working hard. I don't work with too many people who who make excuses or skip their runs. Most of the people who I coach are pretty diligent. They get their work in. They want to. They have big goals and they want to work towards them. What I sometimes wonder though is if they're recovering enough. Dedicated runners want to run. We want to get out there and work hard, but improving is all about getting the balance right between hard work and recovery. And you need to remember that the harder you're working, the more miles you're running, the harder workouts you're doing, the more recovery on the back end of that that your body's going to need. You're going to need to sleep more. Um, you're going to need to eat more to fuel your body. And that's something that as a coach, I often, you know, I don't have great insight into what people are doing in terms of how much they're sleeping, how much they're eating and all that sort of stuff. But I always try to emphasize it because when your training increases and you're working towards these big goals, you got to increase that side of it as well to stay on track. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. And so then I'm sure that since you have that relationship with your athlete, they will come to you and say, Hey, look, I've got young children. I am not nearly getting the sleep that I get. And then you would probably adjust their training accordingly and set, you know, realistic expectations with that. Yeah. We talk about it. And, uh, you know, I think this is another big, big way that working with a coach can be helpful. Um, you know, if you're just following your own training plan and you're dedicated, you're probably going to do what's on that plan no matter what. If you modify it, if you skip a run, you might feel guilty. But that's that's not the best approach, in my opinion. I mean, I've my athletes message me every day and they say, hey, you know, um, I got a horrible night's sleep last night. I was up all night with my kids or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling really sick this week. I'm run down. What should I do? And often for them, it's like they they don't know what to do. They're like, oh, is my whole training going to be ruined because I'm missing one or two runs here? But it's so easy for me as the coach to just say, no, everything's going to be fine. We'll just rearrange the rest of your week, maybe make today a rest day, move this run to over there. It's all going to be good. And getting that affirmation that what you're doing is okay taking a little extra rest right now is good for you and that we can modify the plan and keep you on track. I think that that's really helpful for folks for their confidence and for their just mental well-being as they go through training to know that, yeah, you know, there's going to be highs and lows throughout marathon training. You're going to have moments where you don't feel great, but you're still on track and, and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, because a lot of times it seems like we don't understand as athletes the difference between, hey, we're not feeling great and that's part of it versus we're not feeling great because we're overtraining and we're on the brink of an injury and, you know, the next plantar fasciitis is right around the corner. Yeah, yeah, that's another part of it too. Um, <laughs> those are conversations that I'm always having with my athletes too, you know, checking in with with how they feel, uh, you know, if if I've noticed 
my, my athletes will write comments on their runs. Let me know how they've been going. And if I notice that like for several runs in a row, they just keep writing the same comment. Like they're super tired. They feel like they're dragging, you know, it's just, they're having a bad week or whatever. Then we might get into a conversation about that. You know, um, do you just need a few days off or do you feel like you're working too hard? Do you, maybe do we want to lower your mileage next week or, you know, keep the mileage the same, but reduce workouts, give you some chance to rest. Uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff can be good. And then on the flip side too, sometimes I have athletes who I give them training and they're just crushing it. And, you know, maybe I'm being a little too conservative and they actually do want more. And I can see that since they're being so successful in what they're, they're doing, what I'm giving them and they have big goals, maybe I will be a little more ambitious, give them a little bit more, have them work a little bit harder if they want it. Um, so not everyone's path to the BQ is going to be the same. And like working with, with a coach is a great way to, to, to adjust it on the fly. You know, you don't just pick a plan and 20 weeks later you run your race, but you know, there's this, this ongoing dialogue and this evolution of your training throughout the process, whether things are going great, okay, or not so good, where it keeps evolving and keeps you on track. So you're doing the best everything to your best, your ability and getting the most out of what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so when it comes to nutrition, I want to know from you how eating like an athlete can mm -hmm. make your training just in general go better when you are approaching a goal race for a BQ. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so I, I actually have this, this presentation that, and, and, I've done a podcast and have an article on my website all about what I call proper nutrition for, for marathon runners. And I share this with all my new athletes because I, I do think it is really helpful to understand how to eat like an athlete. So the gist of it is, you know, typically I recommend that folks primarily, you want to try to eat healthy as an athlete. Um, primarily you want to eat whole foods. So as many plants and vegetables as you can, um, a, a typically a more of a higher carbohydrate diet as runners try and run fast. Our primary fuel source is carbohydrates. So, so the majority of what you would want to be eating is those, um, you know, supplementing that with, with a lesser amount of, of healthy protein options. Um, you know, I'm, I'm personally, I've actually been vegan for most of my life, but there's, there's many of good options, either plant-based or meat that you can stay healthy with and, and fuel your performance. Um, there's the, the most important thing with nutrition for runners is making sure you're, you're eating enough. Um, when you're training for a marathon, that's not the time that you should be trying to lose weight. If you're trying to train for performance, you want to be making sure that you're fueling your body enough to fuel that performance. So what I most commonly run into when people are not feeling well uh, after their runs, it's often an issue of them not eating enough. Um, running burns a lot of energy, especially once you start running higher mileage. You know, I run personally, I run right now I'm running like 50 to 60 miles a week. So I'm doing a 10 mile run after this, that's going to burn like a thousand 
extra calories. That's a lot. I mean, that's going to increase what I need to eat compared to a more sedentary person by over 50% probably. And I think for, for runners who are starting to marathon train for the first time or increasing their mileage, they, they might get a little bit shocked by the fact that like you need to eat it. You just need to eat a lot more to fuel it. Um, and, and if you don't, you'll be tired, you won't recover from your runs and you, you probably just won't feel as good. So one of the best tips that, that I can share is just when you come home from any challenging run, hard workout or a long run, try to refuel right away. It's one of the best things that you can do to kind of jumpstart your recovery in the warmer months, uh, or sorry, in the cold, uh, yeah, the warmer months, I love to just make a smoothie when I come home. You know, I put fruit in there, some kind of milk, um, maybe protein powder if you like that, or you could do nuts or seeds blended up. It's great. It's a great, healthy way to refuel both uh, hydration and calories after your run and, and restart recovery. Um, in the colder months, uh, whatever, if you don't want a smoothie, I don't know, <laughs> something more warm toast. I eat a lot of toast, but, um, that that's kind of the biggest thing. Just trying to make sure you're eating a wide variety of healthy options, plenty of plants and vegetables, um, plants, fruits, vegetables, um, lots of carbs, carbs are your primary fuel source and then refueling after runs. There's a few nutrients that runners in particular do want to pay attention to, um, that I think are helpful full as well, which are um, iron levels, vitamin D and calcium. Those are all things. Um, calcium and vitamin D are both things that contribute to your bone health. And as runners, we want to make sure we have strong bones to, to power all of our many, many miles and hours on the road and, and not get hurt. So those are something you want to pay attention to with the foods you eat. And then iron plays a big role in our body's ability to use oxygen to fuel our muscles. And runners who are, are lower in their iron will often feel um, feel like they just can't run as fast as they used to and feel like they're struggling to, to breathe and get oxygen into their muscles. So running is actually an activity that just the, through the nature of it, our bodies destroy some of the iron within our bloodstream just through the process of running. So it's important that you pay attention to making sure you're getting in plenty of iron. And I think if you're getting your blood work done at like an annual physical or something like that, it's helpful to ask them to get uh, to test your iron levels because um, iron deficiency is such a common issue with runners and something that if it is low, it will directly impact your, your ability to run fast. Um, I've, I personally struggled with that. I've had many athletes who've, who've struggled with, with anemia. Um, and it, it's generally fairly easy to fix with supplementation, but definitely something to pay attention to. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Especially if you're vegan, then that also factors into not getting the iron that you might need. So I appreciate you saying that. And those blood tests are always available. I know there's different companies out there that also do them specifically for runners. So you can mm -hmm. uh, research that. But so let's hop into the training and the tips for training, because 
I think there are probably two things that could really help you, right? When you want to get faster, one of them being increasing your volume, obviously mm -hmm. safely, and then mm -hmm. also doing speed work. So perhaps you can tell us a little bit about those two that and how they factor into your uh, ability to run faster. Yeah, so increasing your mileage is the most important thing that you can do to run a faster marathon time. I mean, at a at a zoomed out view, you know, if you looked at people who are running 20 miles a week versus 30 versus 40 versus, you know, 50, 60, 70, <laughs> the people running more miles are going to be faster on average than the people running less. It's it's the most important thing you can do. Speed work aside, um, you know, someone who's running, <laughs> yeah, the, running more is just is is simply the best thing that you can do because it it teaches your body two things. It it helps you become more efficient at running. Um, your your body finds the most efficient way to move through space, which when it comes to running 26 miles is super important so that you can conserve your energy. And then the other thing is it builds your body strong and resilient to actually handling 26 miles. Um, so that's the most important thing. Often when it comes to athletes hitting the wall in the later stages of a marathon, that's simply because they haven't logged enough miles. Um, you know, someone who's, who runs, let's say 90 miles a week, which is a huge amount, you know, they're running, was that almost four marathons a week in training you compare that to someone only running 30 miles a week they're running less than two marathons a week in training their body's going to be less prepared to handle the distance so that's the first thing and you want to make sure that as you look to increase your mileage you do that patiently over time and i know Eddie, we've done other episodes on what the best approach is of how quickly to increase it but it, I encourage all the listeners to be patient with increasing their mileage, to do it, but be patient with it, and um, and that way you'll you'll stay you'll stay healthy throughout the process. The other thing is incorporating speed work, and speed work is something that you can get started with right away as a as a new runner. I think that even people who are just starting to run for the very first time should start to incorporate speed work in the first week or two of their running. I'm going to caveat that though, saying that the speed work you do needs to be hundred percent appropriate for where you are as a runner. And that's, I think where most people mess up. One of the things that I do as a coach is I custom write all of the workouts for all of my athletes. And someone who's a brand new runner and they're going to run 10 miles this week is going to do a very, very different speed workout than someone who's been running for five years and is going to run 60 miles this week. You know, they might go to the track and both do 200 meter repeats, for example, but they're going to do a very different amount of 200 repeats. They're going to take a different amount of rest. It's going to be, it's going to be different. They're, they're, the focus of how they're doing that workout is going to be different. So I think what a lot what a lot of people will do when they're trying to just kind of go it on their own with their training is they might look up online, see some workout, see that somebody they know did a workout on Strava or some professional ran a workout or they watched something on a YouTube video and then they say, okay, I'm going to go do that workout. But what they don't understand is that workout's meant for a certain athlete at a certain ability level 
and at a certain pace. And if you're not that exact athlete, that workout's not going to be the best one for you. So speed runs, tempo runs, these are both great things. Everyone should incorporate them, but yeah, you need to know (laughs) how long they should be, how fast they should be, all that sort of stuff. And that's where it's really helpful to, to work with a coach. Yes. So then participating in those longer runs safely, you know, as to not get injured, same with the speed work, that's what's going to ultimately be the foundation to make you faster. But I want to have, I want to ask you one more question in regards to that, because we hear a lot Mm -hmm. about goal pace running and fast finish running. So doing workouts at a goal pace, um, not just faster and slower, but for your body to get used to it. And then also fast finishing. Maybe you can dive into that for a little bit. Sure. So I give a lot of marathon pace runs to my athletes. I, When I personally train for a marathon, I've actually kind of gotten away from doing them, though. So there's something that I think can play a crucial part in a training plan, but they're not 100% necessary. I think one of the biggest benefits that marathon pace running does is it can help improve athletes' confidence. And for people who are training for a BQ in particular, creating that confidence that they can run 26 miles at their goal pace is really important. So typically with my marathon training plans, once someone gets into the final two to three months of training, I'll actually start to alternate their long runs between a marathon paced long run and a easy paced long run. So one week they'll do, let's say a 14 miler with the middle 10 at marathon pace. The next week they might do 16 miles, just easy. And then the week after that, maybe they'll do 16 miles with the middle 12 at marathon pace. We kind of increase that. And Often I'll have athletes do as much as 16 miles sometimes, 16 at marathon pace, maybe in a 20-mile total long run before they actually get to the marathon. And I found that people who can do that almost always can then run their goal pace on marathon day. And it's it's a big, big confidence booster. Um. You can also do marathon pace midweek during a shorter tempo run. So you could do something like maybe on a Thursday, you're doing it, let's say an eight mile run and you do four or six of those miles at marathon pace in the middle of it. I think that both of those runs can be really helpful. but it's also really important to run faster than marathon pace. So I think there's a lot of benefit to doing these faster long runs and doing some that that are faster than marathon pace. With the fast finish that you mentioned, Letty, I think a, you know a, I don't actually assign too many of these as in terms of long runs with my athletes. But a great way to do it would be like a progression run. So you let's say you do a long run, you start easy, you build up to marathon pace in the middle of it. Maybe you hold marathon pace for 10 miles or so, and then you do two or three miles faster than marathon pace at the end of that before cooling down. I think that that's another 
great type of long run workout that's going to give you a lot of confidence. The thing with marathon training is you want to make your marathon pace feel easy. So you need to think about what are types of workouts you can do that are going to make marathon pace feel easy. And if you can do that, then you're going to be comfortable on your race day. Okay. I love this. Yeah. Because I know that a lot of people drive confidence from doing those marathon paced races, I mean, runs, and then also doing fast finishes because it gets you used to, you know, running fast towards the end of your race when it gets the hardest. So I think that's all I've got as in questions on how to really be cute. We've gone through all the important things such as strength training, nutrition, recovery, and then the specific workouts that may or may not help you. Any other words or tips that you can give to runners that are looking to BQ, how they can thrive this year? Yeah, Letty, I'm looking at your, your notes for this episode and you had a mention about talking about not setting limits for yourself. And I love that. I think that I, I think it's Kipchoge, right? He has the quote, no human is limited. I love that. I mean, it, it's so true. No matter where you're at in your running journey, there's always something that you can do to continue to grow and progress. You know, even if you've been running for years, there's always something you can do to improve. So I, 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 I think each training cycle, you know, identifies something that you want to do this time around that's going to help you be a little bit better and and have fun with that. And if you kind of stack those things from season to season, you're just going to keep improving and improving and improving. So um, it's an exciting time with it being the new year. Hope everyone's training is going well and good luck with all your goals. I'd love to hear, yeah, like what's the thing you're going to do this year that's going to be different, that's going to help push your limits into areas you never thought possible. Perfect. Thank you so much, Chris. You're welcome, Letty. Thanks for having me on. Thank you again, Chris, for coming on and speaking with me. I really appreciated you hopping on the podcast last minute, and I'm glad we put this together very nicely. Hopefully these tips will be helpful for everyone that listened to them. So as with a lot of things, running is what you put into it, how much work you put into it. Exactly. You get what you put in. Very well said, Ryan. Hopefully people found some of these tips helpful and they are maybe motivated to pursue a Boston Marathon. Yes. And if you do that, reach out to us. We love following people on social medias and witness their journeys. And you know, when I say journey, I don't mean just the successes. Everything is kind of a ebb and a flow. So Sometimes you do well, sometimes you don't. And all in all, it's a great learning experience about ourselves, our bodies, and how far we can push our limits. And um, that's really fun for us. And with that, have a great week of running. Aloha. Thanks for tuning in. For more information and marathon running news, please head to www.marathonrunningpodcast.com and we'll be back next week. Thank you.